The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the Iron Pits Podcast. I'm sure you all remember back around earlier this year, it was the One Year Sworn Podcast. Myself, just like a lot of my fellow officers this past year, were considering hanging up the uniform, calling it quits, walking away from this profession and turning our backs on the people we swore to protect because of all the junk we went through this past year with riots and protests and the police becoming public enemy number one in the face of the public, you know, and I remember telling you all on that podcast that I went to an event here in Louisville to go hear a guy speak. His name was Adam Davis. And going into this thing, I was kind of negative. Like, I don't want to hear what anybody has to say. I'm done. I'm ready to hang it up. However, after going, listening to Adam Davis speak, it re-energized me and recharged me for you all that don't know. Mr. Adam Davis, he is a former police officer, turned author, turned entrepreneur, and motivational speaker, as I'll call him. And I have the absolute pleasure of having Mr. Adam Davis here on the Iron Pitch podcast with me here today. Adam, say what's up to the people, my man. What's going on, brother? Hey, Pitt, thank you for having me on, brother. And uh, to everybody listening, <laughs> it is an absolute privilege to be with you. And uh, so glad that you're tuning in, listening to what we got to say today awesome man i can say i'm absolutely honored and pleasured to have you here my man anybody that wants to give me a little bit of time out of this schedule i'm truly appreciative (laughs) (laughs) so adam tell the people where you are from so uh born and raised south alabama i've been here all my life Uh, this is home uh although i've got you know family that i've met over the past six years all over this country uh this is home and, uh, you know, there's a lot of other places that feel like home, but this is it. And I've uh, been here my whole life, served with the police department here locally uh, for about six years before leaving in 2015. And uh, written eight books, uh, spoke with some of the uh, absolute most wonderful people that you could think of and uh, shared stages with some of them. And matter of fact, I hadn't been too long, got back from speaking in front of uh, somewhere around 1,300 law enforcement officers in New Jersey, and uh, you know it's 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 a journey. It, not every day is easy. But uh, from South Alabama, been married this year 21 years, three beautiful kids, and uh, I, I love what I get to do every day. I, I consider it a privilege to be able to get up and and give back in some way to to my brothers and sisters who serve. Well, we need you right now in this profession more than ever, brother. We need somebody like you that's going out there encouraging the troops and encouraging us to stay in the fight, my man, because it has been one heck of a fight this past year. But mm-hmm. like I said, because of you, I'm I'm staying in this thing and other, other guys are going to stay in this thing as well. And not only that, we're going to stay in this profession, but also learn to, you know, strengthen our marriages and our personal lives. You know, that's right. You've written a couple books. Man, I want you to tell me. So how did you first off? So how did you go from 
Now, how did you get into uh, into law enforcement? <laughs> so I got into law enforcement. Um, you know, I think the the easy answer would be uh, to help people, right? And and I think that at the root of everything we do in law enforcement is because we genuinely want to help people. Um, but what influenced me was growing up seeing other men in my community who are law enforcement officers. Now, these men have all retired by now, most of them. There's a few that are still active, but most of them have retired by now. Uh, but growing up seeing them and seeing how um, just their character, seeing how their families were, spending time with them because they were friends of my family. And um, just, you know, I, I always said I wanted a family like they had and I wanted my family to sort of have that bond and I wanted to be like them and you know growing up with a work ethic that my dad instilled in me along with a passion to serve and to give and to love and and then a creative gift um it's uh law enforcement it was you know it was a no-brainer and I always thought that I would go in and that would be what I would do the rest of my life but sometimes it's for a season and that season may be for me, six years, for some 20, 25 years, for others, two years, for others, 10 years. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I'll always be a cop at heart. That's That runs through my veins, it runs through my blood, and, and I hope that I'll always be family to those who still serve and that have served. And uh, the hardest day of my life was turning my papers to walk away to do something I felt was bigger than me. Um, I wasn't serving my community anymore. I was serving my brothers and sisters solely. That's That's it. And um, when I'm dead and gone, I want to be remembered for that. That's what I want to be remembered for is, is giving back to those who wear the blue. That's, that's my family. Um, whether they want me back or not, that is my family. I, I love every <laughs> one of y'all. And um, that's, that's, what I, that's what drives me every day, man. And, and I'll tell you, we were talking about New Jersey just a little bit ago. I finished speaking that afternoon, and um, cops stood in line for about an hour and a half to, to get books. Uh, cops stood in line for about an hour and a half to get books, to talk to me. Some of them had tears in their eyes. You know, I share my story of substance abuse and being separated from my wife on the job. And, um, and you know, the, the day that I I was going to end my life. And uh, I talk about childhood sex abuse um, and then a number of other things. But when I'm, when I'm vulnerable, when I, when I share these points of pain from my life, it, it empowers other men and women to address theirs and uh, their own pain. And, um, you know, when I see the look on their faces, it's almost like you flipped a switch, you know, from, from the way I saw them before we spoke, before I spoke and, and, and the way they are afterwards, it's, it's totally different. And that's what drives me. That's what drives me. It's the one who said I was going to walk away. It's the one who said I was going to walk away from my marriage or my career. It's the one who said I had already planned on taking my own life or, the one who said I, I struggle with, intr you know, intrusive thoughts or whatever. Um, I had one tell me this weekend, you know, he, he wrote me a handwritten note at, at an event I was speaking at. And, and afterwards, he said, I was that boy talking about the story I share. And um, he was the boy that was abused. And at the end of it, he said, you may have just restored me today. Thank you. And he sounded your brother and put his name. And uh, another one had dealt with not telling a soul in over 60 years, not one single person had he told in over 60 years about childhood sex abuse. Uh, and then the thought that he thought that 
watching his brothers die in the line of duty was his responsibility and on him and what happened to him as a kid was on him. And then all these other things were just kind of stacking up. And that's why I do what I do. And, and to be quite honest, brother, um, your note to me after I left Louisville, you men like you, women, like you know, brothers and sisters who serve just like you, who get up every day and they go and they still have those thoughts that maybe they, it's not worth it anymore. That's why I go and do what I do. I miss it every day of my life. Uh, there's just no way I could do what I'm doing now and serve. So, but I'm still a reserve deputy with a undisclosed, uh, agency, uh, okay, in, uh, in Louisiana. And so, yep. And so it's, um, that gives me a little, you know, gives me a, a fix every once in a while, but there's nothing like the camaraderie and brotherhood of serving in law enforcement and nothing like uh, it. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how I got in law enforcement. It's why I got in law enforcement and, um, Started off on night shift patrol, went to day shift patrol. I think everybody should start off on night shift. I didn't stay long. <laughs> they, 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 they moved me off a of night shift pretty quick, uh, probably about six months in. And then I, from day shift, they put me in traffic homicide and uh, sent me to FBI hospital negotiation school and uh, moved me to criminal investigations and uh, sent me to uh, become an intelligence liaison. Uh, I wrote some policy and uh, did some work with different agencies, federal agencies, and uh, was a intelligence liaison for federal and state hostage negotiator. And, uh, by far, my my favorite job of everything was was patrol, working the streets. I love that. Absolutely, absolutely, man. I love the streets. And speaking of night shift, I just moved back to day shift this past month. Oh, sweet. Oh, you got man. those swing shifts there, don't you? Y'all go back and forth. <laughs> we used to. We used to have those. No, we have set shifts now, man. And okay, we do good. the 12 hours, man. And day or nighttime, yeah. a 12 hour shift is rough on the body. But man, them 12 hour shifts on nights about? was wearing me out, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I, yeah. Not only did you save my marriage, but also going to day shift saved my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> day shift, good. Yeah. It's a, it's a different world, obviously. I mean, you got a lot more, uh, you got a lot more eyes on you. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, I learned my first week being in day shift patrol, they pulled me to IA and they said, Hey, um, you can't police during the day. Like you did at night. You can't be as sort of proactive, which that was a different time of policing altogether. Um, you could actually put criminals in jail and, and not be ostracized by society, but whatever. And so we, um, you know, it was, we were aggressive. We would go after bad guys. That's what we did. You know, and so, yeah, and and that's what we're supposed to do, and I loved it. And so, anyway, but yeah, that's uh, um, yeah, it's I tell you what, man, I've been all over this country and I've talked to cops from every state in our nation. And you know, what makes law enforcement special is they know there's people that don't like me. There's people that hate me. There's people that won't that don't want me to live anymore. They hate what I stand for. They don't know me personally. They hate what I stand for. And they still get up and they go, they put on the uniform and they go serve. Um, but what really makes them special is those who do that and, and are able to find that fine balance and taking care of themselves, taking care of their family and looking at their brothers and sisters and saying, I'm not going to quit on myself and I'm not going to quit on you. Um, but at the end of the day, if you got a wife or you got a husband, you got kids to go home to, when you hang up the badge, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, that uniform's not going to be there 
you got to go home to somebody and take care of that right. family before you take care of anything else. Man, let me ask you. So, yeah. man, with this being the type of profession is we are all type A personalities, man. We are yep. all macho, big, beastly men and some, the women, too, man. I've come across some tough, tough women in this profession. and We all put on this front like we got it all together. What broke yeah. you down to the moment to where you decided, you know what? I went through all this stuff in my life. I can't hide it no more because it takes a lot to put your story out there, especially a man talking about how he was sexually abused as a child. What brought mm -hmm. you to that moment to bring that out and expose that to your fellow officers? Because I know that must've been hard. It was hard for me coming out and telling people my struggles when I was wanting to kill myself and uh, my struggles with PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's hard to explain it. Uh, there, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, anytime you expose something, um, you take away its power. And so I needed to expose the fact that I wanted to kill myself. Uh, one of the things that we learned as a hostage negotiator was if you have someone talking to you, they're not hurting themselves or anybody else. If they're actively engaging in conversation with that's why we would talk to them. We keep them talking. So whether they're pissed off at us, whether they're whatever, ranting and raving, they're talking to us, they're not hurting themselves or anybody else. Um, but I, I figured if I would talk about it, if nothing else happened, then I've exposed the intrusive thought. I, I exposed what I dealt with. Number two, sharing my pain uh, of what happened to me as a little boy and, and even stuff as a teenager and as an adult. Um, you know, I wanted to go against what society said was sort of acceptable as it relates to pain, especially as a man. Um, you know, I, I remember the first time I told somebody and they were like, you don't, we don't talk about that. And I said, why not? And they just said, just because. And, um, uh, I said, well, you know, screw that. We're, we don't adhere to that policy. Um, and the first time I, I shared it and somebody walked up to me, this big old guy, he's probably six foot seven, big burly guy walked up to me and very emotional. And he looked at me and he said, uh, man, that was me. That was me. And he said, you know, I've been a good, a good husband to my wife for so long. He said, but I've carried hate and, and bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart towards the people that hurt me. And so for me also, it was, it's not about helping others, but for me, it was also part of, of, of healing. Um, but the more you talk about it, the more you share it. Number one, it's, it's helping me. Number two, it's helping those who hear it and take something from it. Um, you know, and I make people upset. I, I do. I, it, it, sometimes it angers people when I talk about forgiveness. Uh, you know, you've heard it. I've heard it. And I've said it. Yeah, forgive them. I'm not forgiving nobody for that. I'm not, I'll never forgive so-and-so for what they did to me. Um, but it was too heavy a burden for me to carry anymore. And there's so many people that I've been surrounded with since I started this journey. Um, you know, I, I am not, I'm not a preacher. I, I want to be 100% authentic 100% of the time. And that means that that's being vulnerable. And so that opens you up to, to people criticizing you. But God has put certain people in my life now so that I don't carry these burdens alone anymore because I try to share the burdens of my brothers and sisters. So we, we carry each other's burdens. 
And so uh, it, it was a process of healing. It was exposing some lies, you know, those lies that you're not good enough or you're not worthy or you're better off dead. You you know, everybody would have been better off if had you never been born. Uh, those are all lies. Those are all lies. And, um, you know, and I grew up uh, going to church, you know, 12 days a week. Uh, my mom, when she was married, she was married a Pentecostal preacher. So, you know, seven days a week, we were there every day plus some. And, <laughs> oh, uh, yes, sir. But I, I oh, grew yeah. up with this, with this <laughs> teaching that was that was really fear-based um, and performance-based. And uh, so CBN, 700 Club, did an interview on me a couple of years back. And, um, and that's literally what the title of the interview is, is living up to God's standards. And you can't, you can't perform good enough. You you can't live good enough. You can't be good enough. And so I learned as a cop, I discovered as a cop, unconditional love. That's why I discovered it for the first time in my life. I discovered unconditional love. I discovered a power to survive, a power to never quit, a desire to live as a cop. That's where I did. That's where I learned it for so long. I wanted to die for so long. I didn't want to live and you don't have to want to live a whole lot more than you want to die. Just, just an ounce, because as you start building that momentum and you start tasting the goodness of life and you start seeing the beauty that's around you, even if you've been through pain, uh, even if you've been through hell, uh, it's going to give you some strength that you never knew you had. And it's going to start revealing things that you never knew you were equipped with. And, and that's why I talk about it. It's been super powerful for me to be able to share it. And vulnerability is powerful. Mark Batterson, one of my favorite authors, he said in one of his latest books, he said, your moment of bravery is someone else's moment for breakthrough. And so the way I see it is, you know, some people say, dude, that takes a lot of guts to share that. Well, yeah, it does. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of guts. But at the same time, I know for a fact it's proven. If I'm in a room of 100 people, there's at least one. If I'm in a room of 1,300 people, there's at least one. If there's 5,000 people, there's at least one I'm there for. And, you know, it's worth, it's worth that one. It's Amen. always worth the one. And so um, whether it leads them to for a path of forgiveness, a path to healing, restoration, uh, helping their marriages, helping them personally, helping them have a better career, their better cop on the streets, because now they're, they're, they're well, uh, or they're on a process to healing or a path to healing. That's worth it for me. That's worth it for me. This, oh, you know, I'm not traditional. I'm not traditional in, in my approach to anything. I am, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a chaplain. I am a brother. I am one that serves shoulder to shoulder with you. I wore the same boots and I'm here to serve and give back. And that's my job. You're not a pastor, but you preach it like one today on this podcast. My dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, yeah, you're not a pastor, but you like me are a man of faith and hearing yes, how and it is only through Jesus Christ that you were able to do all of this. I'm sure. Oh, dude, there's, he is my strength. He is my strength. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. I'm going to tell you something. I know everybody, you know, there's people listening. Everybody has different beliefs and, you know, you, we were raised differently. You know, I've got people that I, I connect with in, in different parts of the country and even different parts of the world. And our cultures are different. You know, the way I was raised is different. Living in the Bible Belt in the South is different. Um, but that can be bad to a degree because, you know, for, for a lot of folks, it's about putting on a front and it's about putting on a show and on a, and a mask to, 
because we're all in a race, you know, this giant pissing contest with the Joneses, you know. Oh, yeah. We want to put on our suit and go to church on Sunday, but Monday we're having an affair with somebody down the street or we're gossiping about somebody or we're, you know what, even worse, we're not, we're not committing these visible sins or these physical sins. We're committing sins where we live in a constant state of worry or anxiety, uh, and nobody's really give us a path to peace and, and a, a life of power and strength. All they've always told us to do is if you do this, you're going to hell. Well, you know, the pastor's 600 pounds. He's, he's obese. Uh, he's a glutton. Yep. That's sin too. We, we pick the sins that, that are, that are, that are, uh, you know, we pick sins that are culturally acceptable, uh, not scripturally defined as sin. And we run with those. We embrace sins that are culturally acceptable. Um, we, we, we find those that are most egregious and, and we pounce on those, but we forget about those moments when it's two o'clock in the morning, we can't sleep because worry is choking us out. Mm. Uh, Jesus Man. said, don't worry. He said, don't worry a lot. He also <laughs> said, don't be afraid. And so we forget to talk about those all the while, you know, there's people that have never had an affair. They've never done drugs. They've never murdered anybody. They never stole, but they lived their life, entire life based on fear. Their entire life based on sin because they lived in fear. Nobody's ever given them a way out, you know. But the problem is we've got a lot of pastors who are beta males. They're weak. They don't have a spine. Oh, absolutely. You know, they can get up and they can preach a sermon. They've never served a day in their life other than behind a pulpit. They never put on a uniform. They don't know what danger is. And so when cops come in, they're intimidated by them, and they don't know how to minister to them. So you have an entire demographic of Americans who have been cast out by the church because beta males or beta personalities don't want to have anything to do with them. And so we need men and women who have a spine to stand up and say, I'm going to love cops. I don't give a crap what society says. I don't care what one political party says. I don't care what certain terrorist groups who have been accepted in the United States say. I'm going to support cops because they're the ones who have my back in my community. And you know what? You know, you know, know what you believe. Know what you believe. Absolutely. And stand up for what you believe in. That's the American way. Yes, sir. Absolutely, my man. Man, this is, I'm loving this. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> love it. Man, so how did you go from the point to where, man, a lot of cops, man, we get trapped in this profession and it's so hard to leave because like you said, man, the brotherhood's addicting, the job, the adrenaline. How did you cross over from policing the streets to now you slanging books out on the corners, my man? <laughs> <laughs> so... After I had a, let me back up a step, okay? Um, so I, at one point in my career, I, I was I was drinking uh, pretty heavy every night. Um, and, and for the sake of being fully transparent, maybe it wasn't every single night, but most nights I was drinking really heavy um, and partying pretty hard with the squad and, and my, my blue family. And um, I was in a circle and it was unhealthy. I was, you know, I had inappropriate conversations with other women. Um, I did things that I'm not proud of that it's taken a lot of time for God to heal my marriage and heal me. Um, and uh, unfaithfulness, um, you know, drinking. Um, and, and then I had one of my brothers who taught me how to use a rifle tactically. He taught me how to use the AR. He, he was on the SWAT team. He left one of our get-togethers one night and had a wreck and was killed. He was drunk. And um, and so, you know, I wound up separating from my wife and 
was away from my kids and I was living in a storage building, a little one bedroom, like office storage building type thing. And, um, you know, when you're in that position, you there's such a heaviness. You can't think clearly, but you still got to go. You still got to perform. You got to put on the mask. You got to go to work. You got to do your job. And um, I felt like, what's the purpose anymore? I mean, you know, I'm putting people in jail and before I can even leave the jail, finishing the paperwork, they're walking out. These are people who resisted arrest. You know, they walk away, you know, on a signature bond. Um, people who shoplifted, they're just walking away. Um, people who committed burglaries, you know, did 50, 75, $80,000 worth of damage and they're getting freaking probation. You know, got to pay $50 a month in restitution. Um, you know, you talk about justice, man. That that can be a frustrating thing when you see legitimate criminals walking free. Mm-hmm. And and then you got your personal life. You got the admin issues. You got the politics and the backbiting and the infighting. I'm going to tell you something, and this is going to make some people very mad. Uh, as, a, as a family of blue, we kill each other a lot more than the bad guys ever kill us. Oh, yeah. We run each other off more than we we've ever let society run us off. You know, we gotta we gotta take care of one another. You talk about a brotherhood. It's time to get back to where we fight for each other. And you know what? Y'all may attack us, but this is my family. This is my brother. So anyway, I got to a point where you know, separated from my wife, um, and and uh, it started. Just everything was piling up. It was piling up quick, and um, I thought my faith was strong and. Um, I didn't realize that what I grew up with was a, a, you know, set of rules and regulations that was never intended for me to live by. And um, one day I was working as a Sunday, mid-morning, close to lunch, um, working overtime and sitting in my patrol car in an abandoned parking lot of, or it's an old gas, it used to be an old gas station um, just south of town. And uh, so I'd gone through a period a few months prior where, you know, I knew God existed, believed in my heart existed. It was more, uh, man, all the stuff I'm seeing and what's happened in life, you know, is he really good and is he really love? And so I really, uh, in a position of my mind and my heart, I was interrogating God. And, you know, I'm with you. It sounds super arrogant, but um, that's where I was at. And so that day, I'm just tired, man. I'm just, you, you know, and I, and I know a lot of people understand when I say I'm tired. Uh, I was tired of fighting. I was tired of all the pain. Um, and the only thing that really stuck with me through the years was, Adam, you'd have been better off never born, better off dead. Mm. You know, I even had a sergeant tell me a day or two before this Sunday event I'm about to tell you about, I even had a sergeant look at me and said, dude, he said, we'd literally be better off if you just go blow your brains out. Just go kill yourself and make us all better off. A sergeant and, said that um, to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, he had no idea what I was going through at the time. And uh, so that Sunday, I'm sitting there, and I got my Glock laying in my lap in my left hand and left hand a shooter, so I got to lay on my lap. And uh, I just stopped. I stopped. You know, I don't know if it's because I didn't have the balls to do it, or if it was the seed of God's word that had been planted in me throughout my life that just paused for a moment. And I stopped, and I, you know. Um, so I said, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know where you're at, but I need your help. 
I may or may have my life and uh, I can't do anything with it. But I tell you what, if you can, you can have it. If not, today's it for me. I'm checking out. I'm taking my life if you can't do anything with it. And brother, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I've hugged my wife and my kids, family, friends, brothers and sisters in blue across the country. And nothing compares to the warmth of an embrace I felt in a patrol car when all you could see was me in there by myself. I wasn't by myself. You call it what you want to call it. I think it was the presence of God. Um, so that day I called my wife and we started having a conversation. God healed our marriage. Um, he restored our marriage. And um, I didn't, you know, everything wasn't perfect right out of the gate. I like, I didn't, you know, everything went better all immediately, but suddenly I wanted to live because I felt a love that was different. This wasn't the same thing that I'd been preached at my whole life in a church. You know, you're going to go to hell if you do that. You're going to go to hell if you're going to do this. The devil's going to get you, da 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 all this trash. Now, I want to tell you something. The same voice that spoke to me that day and that's moved me ever since that moment, it became my life mission in that patrol car that day. I want every human being that I encounter to feel what I feel in this car right now. I want everybody I talk to, everybody that reads my books, whatever. I didn't know I was going to write at the time, but I want everybody I encounter to feel what I feel. And so instead of drinking every night, I started writing. And it was just accident. I sat down one night, and I'm going to tell you something. I was mad. I was mad about stuff going on in the world. I was mad at myself. Um, I was just upset. And so I just started writing. And I got done. I was like, holy crap, this feels great. Like, this is seriously awesome. And this is better and cheaper than therapy. I, I couldn't afford anything at the time. My wife's homeschooled our kids for several, several years now. She was doing it when I was a cop. And so I'm the only one bringing in income. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I couldn't afford therapy. This is, this is better than therapy. Feels good. <laughs> and so shortly after the events of Ferguson, um, I went home one night, took off my gear, sat down, and started to write. And uh, same thing, I asked God, I said, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you hear me, but listen, who's going to speak life to our cops? Who's going to help us? Who's going to come to us? Who's going to come to our aid? Where are you at when we need you? And I heard this little voice, you know, a very, very still, quiet voice that said, write a book. And so I'm not going to tell you the title of that book because I self-published it. It was my very first work ever done, ever. It, was, it, was, it, it got the job done. It did what it's supposed to do, but. Um, it needs to be improved, but I've just left it alone. So that book reached 5,000 people. People started calling me, having me come speak. And I had a little business on the side and things were picking up and got up on a Sunday morning to go into work, uh, working in patrol day shift and do same voice. I had those other two times was, Hey, today's the day. My wife sat up in the bed that morning. She said, today's the day. And I said, did you hear that? And she was the one that said it, you know, today's the day and so uh i cried like a baby and i walked in and i turned in my paperwork and october 1st of 2015 was was it for me i was that was the last official day and hardest thing i've ever done dude other than other than putting my dog down hardest thing i've ever done um but i'm going to tell you something i've reached somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand first responders with hope. I can't tell you how many have contacted me. 
with marriages restored, brothers who are hurting and they wanted to take their own life, that they now live with purpose. The number that wanted to walk away from the job that are recommitted to the work that they've been purposed to do for this season. Um, there's so many. I, I can't even begin to tell you how many. I, I can't even count them all. Um, there's no way I could have done it down there where I was at. Uh, just no way. Um, and now looking back, you know, I miss it. I miss the family. I miss the, you know, I miss having people that I can talk to on a, on a regular basis like that. And I miss the work, but I couldn't trade what I've done for anything, man. And, uh, you got to make hard decisions. And sometimes those hard decisions mean, well, you know, I love policing, but somebody is waiting on you to do what you were created to do. And if you were to create a police for the rest of your life, be the best cop that's ever put on a uniform. But if there's something else that you got to do, take a one step and he'll show you the rest of the way. You don't have to know the whole path. Just know the next step. Just know the next step. Just It's called flashlight faith. You don't have to have spotlight faith. Just flashlight faith. Just know enough to ne- take the next step on the path. And as you take the next step on the path, he's going to start revealing something to you. And uh, for me, it was different. It wasn't policing anymore. And uh, that's still a hard pill to swallow. I miss it. Six years later, I miss it uh, every day. But uh, being able to talk to you and, and a lot of my brothers and sisters around the country and going to these events and engaging with y'all is it's kind of like uh, a, a breath of fresh air to me. So um, that's how I made the shift. It wasn't easy. Still ain't easy. I feel guilty for leaving. Um, Everybody feels that I, way. I, I know that I couldn't. I know that I wouldn't never have been able to write eight books <laughs> and do what I've done in six years had I stayed. Man, well, I'm glad that, well, even though you technically left the profession, you are still a part of the brotherhood. And like I said, we need your voice and we need people out there like you, especially because me, like you are helping me write, uh, produce, uh, get my book out there right now. Hopefully it should be out in December. And let me tell you, so when I started, man, after I listened to your speech and somebody put me in touch with you, they're like, man, this guy's written books. You know, I was talking to a local publisher here in town and Mm -hmm. they went through my book and they read it. But it's just like they just did not understand what Mm -hmm. I was trying to, you know, get across with my story, being a police officer, military, being wounded in Iraq and dealing with all the things police officers deal with, you know. But as soon as I mentioned, I was like, man, this guy knows how to write books and publish them. He understands the struggle. He understands my story. And that's Mm -hmm. when I was like, man. I'm going to reach out to this guy. And lucky for me, you have your own company where you yeah. help people produce books, write books, right. editing, and what website design? What else do you do? Uh, I, I put everything in a package. So when an author, uh, a potential author comes to me and they say, you know, I've got a story. I just had a, a prisoner of war from Desert Storm reach out to me. I think it was Desert Storm. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I've, my stories are crossing up, but I know he's a prisoner of war. Uh, I've, I've had, you know, a ton of people reach out. So what I do is I say, you know, I'll, I'll coach you through writing the book. Um, uh, we'll set this up. I'll coach you through writing the book. You're going to write the book and I'll, I'll walk you through, we'll edit it. And then I'll format it for print and ebook. I'll design the cover for print and ebook. I'll build you a website to go with it. So we put it together in one package. 
and you keep everything. You keep 100% of the money that comes in from the bookshelves, and nobody else does that. Nobody walks with you one-on-one, and then you keep everything and uh, walk with you through the marketing and launch phase. And uh, that's, you know, I won't tell you why I do it. Yes, I charge for it. Yes, I charge for it because it takes a lot of my time. You better. Um, (laughs) And uh, I charge for it. But here's why I do it. Here's why I offer the service. Because when I first started, I remember what it was like reaching out. I reached out to, I don't know, a couple hundred literary agents and uh, a ton of publishing houses. And you just get ignored if nobody knows you. You have a great story. You believe in your story. That's that's good. You need to. But other people don't know you. They don't believe in you. They don't believe in your story. They don't give a crap about your story. They don't care about any moment of pain you've ever experienced in your life. They want to know how you're going to make them money with your story. And if you can't show them a, a systematic way where you can do it through a platform of this, that, and other, they're either going to say no or somebody's going to take advantage of you. And I remember the first time I got a call from this company and they said, hey, we heard about your story. We would love to give you a book deal. And man, I got super excited. I mean, I was high as a kite. They sent me over this piece of paper. It says publishing agreement. And down in the fine print, it says you have to promise to buy 5,000 copies of your book at $8 a piece. Uh, I'm not real good in math, but I think that's like 40 grand. And um, so I know how much it costs to produce a paperback book. So they're making about 25 grand on me. So what I do is I make a lot of these really big companies really, really mad because I don't charge that kind of money. And I walk with you one-on-one and I've helped to date somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 patriots tell their story quietly. I've never marketed it one time. I've never had a podcast interview about it. I spoke at the University of Alabama on writing and and, uh, reading, but never talk about what I do. And uh, the the right people come to me. You know, there's people I've told no. I've told a lot of people no because their story was not one that I wanted to have anything to do with. If you're an American patriot, I got your back. We'll get the story out, you know, and it'll be good for you. And um, but there's a lot of people that that want to tell their story. But I I do what I do. Because I despise the feeling I had when I found out these people wanted me to pay them forty thousand dollars for my own book, you know, and they and they weren't they weren't coaching me on anything. They weren't helping me with jack, you know. Uh, They produced the cover and they printed the book, but that's it, you know. Um, And so that just, I know that feeling of disappointment, like. Man, I was right here, and I thought I had my dream. And that's one thing about it, man. Satan will send a counterfeit to you. At the moment you are about to walk into your greatest destiny, he will send you a counterfeit. And sometimes that counterfeit looks sweet. And people talk real smooth, you know, and and they'll put all these fine, flashy things together and get your attention and lure you in. But uh, I ain't flashy. Uh, flashy ain't what I want. I want to be more like and faithful. I'm just uh, grit, grind, and faithful. That's it. And uh, so I love doing it. It's a way of giving back. It's a way of helping others. Yes, I charge for it, but I love to do it. I love to be able to help authors break into doing what they love and what they want to do. There's so many people. There was a story recently that, or recently, a couple of years back, said uh, like 200 million Americans said they had a book in them. You know how many actually did something about it? One percent. One percent. So if you've written a book, you're part 
of a very rare group of people, rare group of people. So, uh, and if you hadn't, and you keep talking about it, uh, you know, chances are, if you're, if you're talking about it a year from now and you hadn't done anything with it, you're just, you know, excited about the idea. Man, absolutely. Brother. Like, a, like yeah. a lot of people are excited with the idea of being a cop, but until they get a taste of it, and they're like, no way, buddy. Reality of it is a lot different, brother. And I say, the whole yeah, different. The whole <laughs> writing process, you're ripping off old scabs and wounds that you oh, thought it healed up. You're pouring out your soul, man. And I say, it's taken me seven years to get to this point. You know, and like yeah. I say, the thought a of lot. it was great, but actually going through it, man, it's been a rough go. I mean, I had relapses and depression and like anxiety and stress just going back and revisiting these parts of my life you know and man and you are so right about just reaching the publishing industry man it is relentless man it is oh, yeah, they don't, I mean, oh i've reached out to so many people <laughs> it's so cut through I'm, people oh we do veterans we want your story veteran you got a story man and i send an email you don't hear nothing back not a word you know, then, oh, yeah, 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 man, we got you. We're going to take care of you. Then it's just like, hey, just checking in. Nothing, man. And I was, <laughs> I don't, they you, did, you did hundreds. I did maybe like five or six. I was like, nah, dog, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people see my eight books, you know, and they're like, man, you know, he must be a giant nerd, you know, or wow, you know, he loves to do this or he's super successful or, you know, you see what I do on social media, but you, you don't see the moments um, when I got the rejection. You don't see the moments when they would take a book that I wrote with someone else, but they wouldn't take my story. You don't see the moments when they said, you know, your pain that you went through, nah, really ain't nothing special about it, so we'll pass. You don't see the rejection. So when you see someone else's success, celebrate with them. Or you're just right. a piece of crap. Exactly. Or you're just a piece of crap. A hater. <laughs> There's plenty yeah. of haters. There's yeah. plenty of haters. <laughs> I always say on my podcast, I like, I know the haters are out there listening. Thank you for the download. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep keep listening because I, I promise you, there's if there's two people in the world that'll fight until our last breath, you're listening to them right now. Oh, absolutely. I, I got that impression the first moment I met you and shook your hand. I was like, this guy knows what's up. <laughs> He's part of the brotherhood. He knows the struggle, man. So and let me right. so you also wrote a book with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. And if y'all don't know who that is, you never read the books on killing. Man, that book is still read across the world by like top leaders in the military and everything. How did that pan out for you? So my very first book is called Behind the Badge. That's the very first book I wrote. And I uh, got a major book deal on. And um, I say major book deal. Got a book deal on. <laughs> and, um, but I remembered officer survival training and uh, law enforcement. I remember seeing uh, Grossman's name and the books and everything. And I remember some of the stuff he taught. Um, me through the books and the training quite possibly saved my life and kept me alive. And so um, I, uh, I, I emailed him. I just, I just sent him an email and said, I've got this book. It's called Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. 
Uh, I'm a former cop, da 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 da. I know you don't know me from anybody, but uh, your work has had a, an incredible impact on my life. Would you consider uh, reviewing this and giving me an endorsement? And I forget how long it was, maybe a couple of weeks later, he sent me an email back and said, the absolute best work out there in the country right now for law enforcement. And uh, so we started, you know, talking back and forth. And he said one day, he said, uh, hey, um, what do you think about writing a few books together? And I said, I think I can do that. Uh, after I picked myself up off the floor because I'd fallen out of the chair. And he <laughs> said, uh, what do you think about writing a few books together? And so the very first book we did together was Bulletproof Marriage. And the reason we did that was because of a sense of urgency uh, that, was, that was needed. And so I wrote Bulletproof Marriage in 45 days. Wow. Yes. Ooh, wow. Wow, wow is right. <laughs> wow is right. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot that I wish we could have done different on that. But it's, you know, the day I signed the contract, we signed it May 1st, 2018, a three book deal. And they wanted that book submitted in 45 days. So it released January of 2019. And um, it was, you know, I ran on my tongue hanging out. So anyway, uh, we got behind the badge. Uh, we got Bulletproof Marriage and then on Spiritual Combat. And then the next one, the third in the series of three that we did, actually releases next month. And and, uh, and I don't know if you even knew that, but it's called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. And in full disclosure, I did not want to do this book. Like straight up, I did not want to do this book um, because I felt like um, I don't know of a single cop who would read this. So what what I did was uh, after going back and forth with the publisher and talking with Colonel Grossman, um, it's basically what it was initially was just a series of topical reference uh, of scripture, scripture reference guide. And, and there was a lot of different ones in there that I just said, man, this just seems like, you know, soft. Uh, I don't think, I don't know of a single warrior of any trade who would, who would read this. And so what I went, uh, I did was I went in and, and uh, wrote a devotion and a prayer that goes along with, and I had, we hand selected 78, I think 78 different topics and we pulled scripture to apply to each one. And then we wrote a devotion and prayer to go with each one. And so you've got 78 devotions, 78 prayers, along with scripture that will support you. So you can go to, you know, healing or trauma or, or family or marriage or whatever, right in that book. Um, and you can go and check out the devotion. It's, something that, it's not something that you, you have to do every day. It's just something you could go back to time and time again. And you could sort of meditate on those scriptures that you see there. Uh, and so once I, once I was able to talk them in and let me do that, and it was something I was interested in. I didn't want to just give them a book of scriptures that I hand selected for them. I mean, you can go read the Bible. My, my, my mission is to cause people to think for themselves. I, I want people to de develop a hunger for reading the Bible on their own. Uh, if you want to read the Bible and hear a preaching sermon, go to church. Uh, my job is to help create an appetite for uh, studying the Bible and finding him for yourself, finding him for yourself in the word, because the word's alive and well. So, uh, yeah, so the next one comes out in November and it's prayers and promises for first responders. And then I've got one with a guy named Chad Robichaud, 4th Recon Marine, 
Um, and uh, MMA champion, it'll release in February called Fight for Us with uh, Nelson Books at HarperCollins Publishing. So um, love what I do, man. Love what I get to do. It's I'm glad you're doing it, brother. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you are helping me with my book, I Am Pitts. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be coming to towards the finish line on this thing, man. You have been an absolute inspiration. Absolute inspiration. Thank you, brother. That means the world to me. Thank oh, you. yeah, definitely, man. I'm, my wife's ready for it to be finished. <laughs> but she can have me back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like I'm just like um, just with your coaching and your experience and expertise, I really believe that my book is going to be something special, because I, you know I believe in my story, but the fact that you also believe in my story, with what you've been through and you can recognize with my story, that just makes me all the more excited. Thank you. That means the world to me. Well, I, you know, so I consider it a privilege to be able to help you. Oh, it definitely is, man. So before this we get ready to get out of here, mission. oh yes, sir, definitely, man. And before we get ready to get out of here, can you tell the people where the name of your company and how they can get in touch with you if somebody's out there thinking about writing a book? Yeah, man. Listen, you can just shoot me a message. Uh, uh, best way is just shoot me a text, 334-618-8295. Um, and then you can email me, adam at enlivify.com, enlivify.com. Uh, that is my email address, and the name of my company is Enlivify. It's Echo November Lima India Victor India Foxtrot Yankee, and that's uh, Enliven and Fortify, Breathe Life Into, Inspire, Motivate, and Strengthen and Support. That is the word. That, that's what it means. I put it together. I made it up on my own. And so uh been rolling since uh, October 1st, 2015. I'd love to hear from you. If, you. if you've got an idea of writing a book and you want to invest some time and resources into making it happen, then we could certainly have a conversation. But, man, thank you for the plug on that. That really means a lot. Definitely, oh, definitely brother. Definitely. It's been a pleasure working with you, and I want other people to know that. And where can people reach you on social media? Yep. So Facebook, I'm the official Adam Davis. Uh, Instagram, let's see what my name is on Instagram. I am official Adam Davis. And then the website is the Adam Davis, T H E Adam Davis.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it right there. So if you have written a book or you want to write a book, this is the man you need to contact. That's the man who I'm using. And trust me, I ain't going to just put anybody on this podcast if I ain't going to be behind him 100%. He's 100% legit. So be looking out for his books coming out in the next couple months. Be looking out for the Iron Pits book coming out in December. Like I said, we're coming towards the end of the finish line on it, and I'm ready to finish strong. Adam, hey, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Iron Pits podcast, brother. I know you are a busy man, and you are zooming back and forth across the country. But thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here today, and thank you for helping me with my publication, my man. Absolutely. It is, it is an absolute honor. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. I have to have you back on again in the near future, my man. Let's do it. All right, brother. You have a good one. Ladies you and gentlemen, too, this has been the Iron Pits Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. As you know, you can listen to the Iron, Pod Iron Pits Podcast on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and now on Amazon Music as well. Man, and as always, you all take care of each other. Be strong. And to those and still wearing the uniform, man, continue to keep fighting forward. You know, this country needs us. Your community needs you. So stay in the game, stay in the fight. And until the next time, I'll see y'all.
Take it easy.